Joshua chapter 1. I want to share with you a couple things before we jump into the scriptures, and then I will pray. Uh, there's a book written by our Christian and Missionary Alliance founder, A.B. Simpson, uh, in the early 1900s called The Land of Promise. This current book that I hold in my hand is from 1969. And uh, a couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago, I began reading through this book, and it was transforming my life and my heart. And God was speaking to me in many ways through this book. And he talks about the life of Moses, the end of Moses' life, and then Joshua. So a lot of what we're going to be working through in this series comes from and is informed by this book because it is such good material. In fact, it was so transformative in my life that as I was reading through it, I read it a second time immediately, and I felt the Spirit of God saying, we need this book in the church today. It's more relevant today than it was when it was written in the early 1900s. I believe it's a message that we need for our church and the church at large today. And as I was convicted of that, uh, I felt it, I needed to develop a study guide and modernize this book because it's very, very old English from the early 1900s. Many people would have a really tough time reading through it. And so I called up our national office, which is now in Columbus. I shared with them my passion. I shared with them my desire for this book to be in the hands of our people. And they said, okay, let's print it. Modernize it, write the study guide, and let's print it. So at the end of this month, the new version, I have a, a picture of the, the cover for you that Wanda's going to put up. This is the new cover of this book. And I believe so deeply in it that we are going to be utilizing it for our small groups, for our uh, just everything that we do, young couples, men's ministry, we're going to be walking through this. Now you might say, uh, Marv, isn't that very self-serving because you worked on this book? I donated all of my time to the national office on this book. And so when you purchase this book, 100% of the proceeds goes directly to missions. Our Missionary Alliance Church, we have many people overseas, hundreds of missionaries that are overseas, hundreds of people who are working to speak and proclaim the gospel with their life and with their words. And so you want to support missions. We give to the Great Commission Fund. This is going to be a great way, as I have asked and ordered the national office to send us 200 copies, which will be on sale at Mahaffey for a dollar off. If you go to Mahaffey, you can get it for a dollar off. If you buy it here, it'll be regular price. But I want you to understand, I believe so much in this that I stayed up late at night working on this, working with the national office, editing it, modernizing it, writing a study guide, all for the mission field and for the church at large to grasp the truth of what's in this book. So that's enough of talking about it, but I want you to recognize I don't get anything from it. I have zero dollars, zero anything, but I believe in it so much that that is why we are going to be as a church walking through it when it comes out in print, most likely in the fall, we'll begin those things because then it will definitely have been out for a while and be an ebook version. So I say that, and we're going to pray, and we're going to jump into the story of Joshua and look at what God has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this time that we can worship you together as a body of believers, that we can gather in freedom, that we can gather in passion, that we can gather with expectation, knowing that you are here with us. Where two or more are gathered, you are present. And God, we cannot take that for granted. We cannot step back and, and just do the, the motions. We must have a desire, an expectation, and a passion to hear from you. 
And I know, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you have a fresh word for us this morning from this, this Old Testament passage, which is so relevant and so meaningful for us today as it was thousands of years ago. I pray, God, that you will speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word of God to us. Use my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to be transformed, not just informed. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Just a, a warning, I haven't preached in two weeks and I've had a lot of coffee, so I am super pumped about what God has for us this morning. And if I just move around a lot, uh, that's why. Because God is good. I mean, the Bible is so, so good. And if we can't get excited about the Bible, what in the world can we get excited about? You know what I'm saying? Because the good news is in this. Life transformation is in the Word of God as the Holy Spirit illuminates it to us. Well, uh, about eight, no, uh, about nine years ago, God called me to plant a university church at the University of Pittsburgh. And it was one of those moments where you just don't want to do what God's calling you to do at first. There was a sense of, you know, I've been a youth pastor my whole life. As, as I, that was my focus. That was what my goals were, were to work with teens for my entire ministry career. And then God shifts it and changes it. I was intimidated, I was a little fearful, I was a little bit stepping back, like I have no idea what I'm doing. But it was through the encouragement of many men and women in my life that I knew that this is what God had for me, and I knew that it was going to be successful. Not because of me, but because of the encouragement of others. My main pastor who was over me, uh, I came to him with this story of saying, hey, you know, you guys were talking about this desire to possibly do ministry at the University of Pittsburgh and plant a university church. And I said, I feel like uh, after a couple of months, I've been wrestling with it. But when, it, when you were talking about it, it resonated in my soul. And this pastor said, well, I was waiting for you to come to me because I knew that day that it was supposed to be you. I was like, well, why didn't you tell me that? He's like, because the Lord said, wait for him to come to me. So, okay, so we did, and God did remarkable things, and I mean, it, the university uh, is, is dark. You know, you've probably stepped on the Indiana University uh, of Pennsylvania, and you felt this weightiness, this heaviness, because there's just so much darkness that happens in areas where God is totally out of the picture. And there's people in, in the University of Pittsburgh who would have classes that would purposely try to manipulate students away from their faith. And these were things that I engaged with on a daily basis. And it wasn't because of anything I could do, but the encouragement and the courage that came from the encouragement of others. We all need courage that comes from encouragement to live out our call. Now, I know that, you know, we put courage in the middle of there. It seems a little bit cheesy, and maybe it is. But, you know, when we look at the word encouragement, it is people bringing courage to us through their encouragement. And God does the very same thing in this book of Joshua for Joshua. It is a book of encouragement. It is also a book of history. We see lots of historical realities of Israel, but we see God throughout giving encouragement to Joshua. And the Lord wants to give us encouragement through His Word, through His Spirit who speaks today, through the gifts of others who bless us and the gifts that we have to bless others in this world. God has encouragement for us. But many times I think we fail to grasp what God is saying. 
we don't step aside and listen to the encouragement of God. We just keep plugging along and we, we walk in fear and we walk in doubt. And these things, they, they malign our faith and hinder us from moving forward with what God has for us. But today I want to share with you the Lord's encouragement to Joshua and answer the question through this passage, what is the Lord's encouragement for us to live out our call? You'll know that I have said often and very, very, very specifically that you, each and every individual believer in this room, has a purpose and a call on your life. And God desires to share that with you, encourage you in it, and follow the path that he has for you. And as we open up the scriptures this morning, we will see what God is calling us to and the paths that we can follow in order to walk that path. The first path I see that God gives to Joshua and also to us is the path of death. Our past life must pass away. Our past life must pass away. Joshua 1, 1 through 2 says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Moses is dead. Moses had led them to the very border of the promised land. But you'll remember a few weeks back, we said that on the last mountain, God told Moses, you can go no further. But here, God speaks to Joshua and says, it's your turn. You're up next. It's your job. Moses is dead. And now it's time to move across the Jordan, to take the land that I promised to your forefathers, to Moses and to you. A.B. Simpson states this, From time immemorial, the Jordan has been taken to represent death. On this side of the Jordan was the past desert wandering of the Israelites. When they cross through the Jordan, they are no longer in that life, but they are now in the new life that God has called them into, the land which God has for them. And this is a symbol, the symbol of Jordan for us in our connection to what God is saying to Joshua is our dying to self. There was a new leader. And there was a new land for Joshua and the Israelites. God was calling them to release their past life, to let go of what has has transpired in their sinful lives and to move into something new. And Joshua, the leader, was to lead them into that place. You see, we have to also die to ourselves. Like Israel, we have an old self that seeks to try and drag us back into our old life, our old ways. In order to receive all the Lord has, we must die to ourself. In order to receive all that the Lord has, we must die to ourself. Because if we're still clinging to old parts of who we were, then we can't grasp that which God has for us. How often do we try to hold both things Intention. Well, if I can just have this little thing, it's tiny. But God says, release it. Die to yourself. 
Moses had to die, and the past land had to die. The Israelites had to die to themselves, moving through the Jordan to receive that which God had for them. Remember, 40 years prior, there was fear that they could not go into the land. They were stymied by 40 years of fear and doubt. And God continued to wander them around, leading them by the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. It was time to release that fear, time to release that doubt, and move into what God had for them. They needed to die to themselves. In Scripture, we see this over and over and over again, that we are to die to ourselves, that we are to live out of the new life, no longer in the old life. The old man is dead. The new creation is what is to live. That we have a regenerate heart. We are made new. We need to die to self. But often we don't allow the Holy Spirit of God to kill our old sins, our old desires, our old agendas. All these things we continue to hold and say, God, bless what I want. Bless my old life. And he says, I will not bless that. I have something new. I love this imagery in uh, C.S. Lewis' book, The Great Divorce. I won't tell the entire story. I've told it before, but there is this moment where a man has a red lizard wrapped around his neck, and he just wants it to be shrunken so it doesn't choke him. But the angel says, I need to kill it. And he's like, well, I, I wasn't really about you killing it. I just needed you to make it more manageable to deal with, to, to do on my own that I can wrestle this silly little lizard. And the angel says, no, there's no way, no path forward until this lizard is dead, annihilated, gone, no longer able to, to grow or to shrink. It must be dead. This is how we are to die to ourselves. The things that we try to cling to, they must be released in order to receive all that God has for us. A.B. Simpson says, our business is not with our old nature any longer. It may knock at the door and try to get in, but it must, must not be admitted. The enemy's going to try and use your old self against you. He's going to allow that knock, force that knock in your heart and in your life. And you must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, refuse to allow your old self admittance. It no longer has power over you. That fear and doubt that caused Israel to stay on one side of the Jordan no longer has power over them. They can move to what God has for them. The second path that we see is the path of promises. You and I are to open up to receiving the promises of the Lord as our own, as your own. Joshua 1, 3-5 says this, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In these passages, the Lord gives Joshua three promises that he gave to Moses in Deuteronomy 11, 24 through 25. It's almost a word-for-word -word comparison of that passage in Deuteronomy to what he's saying to Joshua. 
He is speaking face to face with Joshua and saying, every promise that I promised Moses is now yours. As the leader of these people, that, that mantle has transferred from Moses and unto you. And everything I told Moses is now yours. Every promise I have given him is now yours. And we'll see in a little bit that there were conditional pieces to receiving the promise that God has for us. And one of the things I want to state is in Old Testament and in the New Testament, anytime there is a conditional promise, most often that is also transferable to us as believers. And what I mean by conditional is an if-then. If this happens in your life, then this will happen. It is a transferable promise that you and I have that we can own for our own lives. But too often we look at these passages and say, Oh, it's a really great promise for Joshua. Wish God would do that for me. He will. If you follow what he says the condition that he has for these promises. We have a response. We have a responsibility in order to see those promises come, but we can own them as our own. Howard, an Old Testament commentator, states, such careful repetitions that God is giving to Joshua that he had given to Moses assure us that God was indeed committed to keeping his promises. God is committed to keeping his promises. Pastor Mike reminded us last week that God is not a liar. God cannot and will not ever lie. And so when he says he will do something, he will do it. He will do it. But often we doubt, well, God couldn't do that in my life. I've never seen God do anything like that before. Or are we walking in that faith, anticipating, expecting God to show up in the promises that he says, or are we doubting? Are we fearful? Are we afraid? Simpson says it well. If we dare to place our foot upon anything God has promised, He makes it real to us. He makes it real to us. You see, this is a powerful truth of Scripture that we often gloss over. Many of us probably don't even know the promises of the New Testament, let alone the promises of the Old Testament. God has hundreds of promises for us that we can claim as our own, that we can step upon those. There's a, a book by Gary Chapman, and he has this wonderful phrase that's called thirsting for God. And in chapter 2, he talks about releasing sin and walking in the authority that God has for us. And he says that the truth of, of, of Joshua, the promise of Joshua where we can step, the ground is broken, the enemy's ground is taken back when we step in faith and live in the promises that God has for us, when we walk in the authority that we have as believers. Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me, and now I send you. I lay upon you the authority that God has given me, and in Acts 1.8 we see that that authority is transferred to us by the Holy Spirit, that we have the living God within us, the presence of God living and dwelling within us, that we can go forward in that authority that we can break the ground of the enemy, that we can say no more to these places, that we can walk in the promises of God in faith and the authority of the believer. But too often we neglect to. Too often we're content to just sit back. Too often we're content to read our Bible alone, go to church on a Sunday, maybe a prayer meeting here and there. But we don't walk in the authority that we have. 
We're not walking in what Jesus has called us to. And that leads me to the third path. And the third path of walking in our calling, being encouraged by the Lord, is the path of obedience. I love what Lou Engel said in one of his books, Redigging the Wells. He said, obedience releases authority. Obedience releases authority. In Joshua 1, 7 through 8, we see this. God is talking to Joshua still only. Be strong and very courageous. Here's the condition. (laughs) Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I've seen this in my own life, this idea of obedience releasing authority. When I walk in the obedience that God has called me to, I see God do more amazing things around me than would ever happen before. And it literally doesn't have anything to do with me except that I am just surrendering to what God has. And I've seen when I walk in disobedience, when I'm walking in areas that I should not be walking in, that the authority is lessened. And that my ability to do what God has called me to do is hindered. And it does not work. It is different. It is not surrendered. It is me trying to do it in my own power. But when we walk in obedience, God releases authority in our lives. God wants to use you to break the ground of the enemy. You are a warrior in the kingdom of God. You are not just some pew sitter who sits and does nothing. You are a child of God, and you have Abba Father, your daddy who is behind you, encouraging you and empowering you with the Holy Spirit. But too often we are so content to just sit and do nothing. That is not what we're called to do. We're called to be on fire, passionate, encouraging one another, walking in obedience. Joshua was to do Three things. He is to obey the law given to Moses, speak the word of the Lord consistently, and he must read and dwell on the word of God both day and night. Simpson reminds us that we are to go according to scriptures in everything, carefully adhering to all its commands. We are to know its commands and then obey them. The word of the Lord is vital to the life of the believer. Amen? We don't know what to do without the Word of God. We don't know how we are to live without the Word of God. We don't know how to assess our obedience and the fruit in our lives without the Word of God. Do you know that we live in the most biblical, illiterate time of the Western world? And you know what's really, 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 really sad about that that inability to understand the Word of God is that we have never, ever in all of history had more access to the Word of God than we do today. Ever. You can go on your phone in a matter of seconds. You can read the Bible. Whatever version floats your boat, you can just do that. You can have it on your Kindle. You can grab it in a bookstore. You can go to Ollie's and buy a Bible. Who goes to Ollie's to buy a Bible? Right? But it's there. We have more access to the Bible than ever before, but we have the most illiterate people in the Word of God today. No wonder the American church is shrinking. No wonder we're not living our faith 
because we don't know the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God, gives us passion for the Word of God. If you're reading the Bible and you're bored, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with a passion with what you're reading and say, let me live this. And you'll say, whoa, I can't wait to wake up and read the Bible. Your family's going to be like, you're nuts. You wake up at four in the morning to read the Bible? Yes, because the living, breathing word of God, God spoke it, God taught it, and the Holy Spirit of God is there to make it make sense. You don't have to try and make it make sense on your own. Amen? The Spirit of God does that. You can tell I haven't preached in two weeks. Passionate. The word of God is living and breathing and transformative to our lives. Read the Bible. Obey the Bible and see what God does in your life. It is amazing. Simpson continues with this thought. It is not impossible to walk as he would have us if we are watchful and obedient. His spirit is ready to put these qualities within us if we would receive them. See, the word informs our path. And the spirit empowers us to walk in it. The Word informs our path and the Spirit empowers us to walk in it. What am I to do as a believer? What is my calling to go forward in the authority of Christ to proclaim the gospel? Man, He doesn't leave you alone to do that. Even the disciples had to wait for a period of time until the Holy Spirit came to give them the ability. The very people who walked hand in hand, arm in arm, life on life with Jesus, had to wait for the Holy Spirit to give them the ability to do that which he called them to do. How much more do we, those who are just believing in faith on Jesus Christ, who never saw him face to face. Paul says that we are extra blessed because we didn't see him, yet we believe. Man, God has some great things for us if we would just surrender to the Holy Spirit. Give Him the ability to empower the path that the Word lights for us. James tells us that we're not to just hear the Word. But he says, and in Greek, it's pretty powerful. He says, do what it says. If you were to read that in Greek, it's like, duh. Right? Sorry, that really hurt, man. We're supposed to do what God says, but you can't do it in and of your own power. The fourth path we see is the path of courage. Operate in courage and not fear. Joshua 1, 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to what's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now let's step back and put a little historical context into Joshua's situation. Moses brought them through the wilderness. God led them and directed them. He had to deal with really, really whiny, tough-to-deal-with people. But there weren't that many battles that happened during that time. There wasn't a whole lot of war in those 40 years. But here God is saying, Joshua, you're going to lead these people into this land, and there's going to be a lot of war. There's going to be a lot of death. 
There's going to be a lot of stuff that you're going to have to come up against. The enemy's going to fight you. The enemy's going to push back. The enemy doesn't want you here, and it's going to be a little bit tough. Moses has transferred this authority over to you, and I have as well, saying this is who you are, the leader of these people. He's walking into a literal war. I'd be a little bit timid as well. The passage here indicates that Joshua was stepping into this authority, but he did have some fear and doubt. He knew he was going to have to lead an obstinate people against obstinate people. He was going to have to lead people who cried about pineapples to fight a war. And he's like, <laughs> what are you doing? But God speaks truth into his life and it says, be strong and courageous. The Lord bolstered him through challenging him to not fear the enemy. One of the things that we don't often say at, at evangelistic rallies is that once you receive Christ, it's going to be harder, not easier. Because the enemy doesn't like it when you come to faith in Jesus. The enemy doesn't dance and it's like, oh, I lost one. No, he's going to keep going after you. He's going to keep pounding your life as much as he can. He's going to keep trying to cause the old life to knock on the door of your new life. The enemy will come against you. Here, Joshua is knowing that an enemy is there waiting for him as soon as he crosses the Jordan. My friends, the enemy of our souls is the very same. But God is calling us to not be afraid. Simpson says something very pointedly in the book, The Land of Promise, that I still really wrestle with. <laughs> because it is one of those things that you probably want to write down. It's not in your notes, but I encourage you to write this down. Fear is the beginning of failure. Fear is the beginning of failure. When we step into this war with the enemy of our souls and we're afraid of him, we have forgotten who God is. We are now walking in doubt of the promises that God has said that he will not overtake you. We have the most powerful being in all existence backing us, encouraging us, strengthening us. And when we step and walk in fear, that's the beginning of failure. I have seen over the past several years so much fear-mongering in and outside of the church, and people are less and less and less willing to share their faith. They're more apt to share their political views than they are the truth of Jesus. And that, my friends, is a sad, sad state of affairs. Because we're not called to promote all of this political thing. We're called to promote Jesus and Jesus only. Jesus and Jesus only. And when we step into this fear of, oh, oh, this thing is happening, I'm so, oh, that's the beginning of our failure. Because we don't need to be afraid. We have to recognize that the enemy hates the Lord's plans and the Lord's people. Once you come to Christ, you automatically put a huge target on your back that says, I want to kill that person. That's what the enemy says when he sees you. He hates the Lord's plans, and he hates the Lord's people. Satan hates you. He does. With every fiber of his actual being, he despises you. And that should encourage you. <laughs> Man, if the most evil thing hates me, I must be doing something right. Following the right path, the right person, the right way. 
but we do not have to be afraid. The closer we come to, the, to living into our calling, living out what God has set for us, the fiercer the enemy of our souls will get. But there is a promise in Scripture, another if-then in the book of James. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Have you ever read that passage? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. It's not just one of those like, ah, oh, maybe. No. When the enemy comes against us and we resist his temptation, we resist the knock of the old self, and we say, Holy Spirit of the living God, I can't do this on my own. I need to resist the enemy. He will open up a window for us to jump out of that temptation. He will give us the ability to say no to the enemy. We'll be able to look him in the face and say, you're a whiny little baby. You can't handle the God that's fighting for me. But too often we live in fear. We live in doubt. Because the enemy's voice seems so loud. The enemy's tricks seem so fierce. But he's, he's just a little weakling. He's got nothing. The fifth path we see is the path of strength. And we are to own the strength that comes only from the Lord. Own the strength that comes only from the Lord. We see this in Joshua 1, 5, and 9. And now I'll read Ephesians 6, 10 and Exodus 33, 11. In Exodus 33, 11, we see this. This is one of my favorite passages on the life of Joshua says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Before Joshua was even leading the people of Israel, he refused to get out of the tent of God's presence. He said, all right, Moses, you need to go lead people. I'm just your assistant. I'm going to sit here in the presence of God and bask in awe, in wonder. I don't want to go. I don't want to leave and stay. And it was that presence that strengthened him. Ephesians 6.10, which comes in the passage of putting on the armor of God, says, finally, be strong in yourself. No. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of of his might. We see in the life of David, at a moment of deep depression and loss, he says, and God strengthened him. David strengthened himself in the Lord. We have a strength that can defeat the enemy. We have a strength that we can have that is beyond all measure of understanding. But it's not because it wells up within us, it's because it comes from him. In this passage, the Lord constantly reminds Joshua where his strength is coming from. You and I, we need the presence of God. Our souls need the presence of the Lord in order to be strengthened. He says to Joshua, meditate on the word. Meditate on the law. Pastor Mike talked briefly about this idea of meditation, but it could also go with the Greek word meno, abide, stay with, rest in, spend time in, focus on. We have this idea of meditation that is so Eastern rather than what God has for us. Meditate is resting, reading, praying, focusing, 
Do we do that? Do we stay in the presence? Or do we get so busy? Oh, I got to answer this email. I got to stop my devotions. Oh, I got this phone call. Oh, I got to go shopping. Oh, I got to do this or whatever it is. And we're easily taken out of the presence of God. We must be with the Lord. St. Bernard of Clairvaux says that we should attend the presence of God. I like that phrase. And attending to the presence of the Lord is done through prayer, meditation, reading the word of the Lord, communing with God, possibly in nature if you're a nature person, or seeing art that can just blow your mind that God has given a gift to a person that pictures something beautiful in the Bible. Beauty, looking at what God has created, sitting in silence, waiting for the Lord to speak, and waiting with expectation that God has something for you. We can conquer all that comes our way because He will be with us wherever we go. May we follow the paths of death, dying to ourself, owning the promises that Scripture has for us, walking in obedience, stepping into courage, and living in the strength that only comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I'm blown away by all that you give us. We don't deserve it, yet you give it. I pray that we will be strengthened in the Lord, that we will be people who refuse to leave the tent of your presence, and that we'll walk in obedience and see the ground that the enemy has taken, taken back for the glory of the King Jesus. Amen.